0: They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunix. From a new location, they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the side, you can't deny, it's the Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. I am your solo host today, Matt. Much apologies again for getting backed up. Um, at the start of last week we were fully fully uh, on time fully uh, topped up with our episodes and then we didn't do an episode last week and uh that's unfortunate that's unfortunate it's unacceptable i'm gonna do better um and uh you know, um, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm improving every day. I'm improving every day. No, uh, that actually reminds me of a funny story. (laughs) I, I don't know why this, when I was at the, uh, National Labor Relations Board, um, let me think about this case for a second. There was a case, I wasn't working on it, but someone else was, and they had shared the details of it at some point. Um, and, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I know, I know the issue now. Okay. So this guy, you know, it was a a union shop or I guess it really doesn't matter whether it was or wasn't. But this guy was getting his, uh, you know, quarterly evaluation or annual evaluation or whatever it was, right? He was an employee and the boss sits down and writes up some report and says, you know, how do you think you did on this? And how do you, you know, whatever. Anyone who's, who's worked a job knows how that goes, right? And he was he was brought in this guy he was brought in to do this thing right the annual review and as part of this he sits down with the boss and the boss you know ask him some questions they have a conversation whatever and right away you can kind of probably figure out uh, who this what kind of guy this guy is <laughs> because uh we learn in the record that he requested to have his uh, union representative present um and again, I don't know if this was a unionized shop. You know, technically, at least uh, according to uh, Democrats when they're in control of the NLRB, technically, even if you're in a non-union shop, you are allowed to request, uh, like, a coworker to be with you in these kinds of meetings, as long as it's, like, germane to hiring and firing and that kind of thing. Uh, these are called wine garden rights. Anyways, he invoked his wine garden rights and said, you know, I'd like to have someone here, uh, with me <laughs> as we go through this review. And they they said they declined to have them there. And you can do that as long as it's not like a disciplinary thing. It's not a thing where someone's going to get fired, right? Like you can't request a uh, union representatives t- to be with you every time you meet with the boss about anything. It's got to be something that's sort of uh, personnel related. And <laughs> I gather that uh, as they went into the review, there was no intention to make it personnel-related, re- but as the review went on, uh, th- things changed. And so that created, I guess, an interesting legal question, which is what mainly what I dealt with when I was at the board, which was novel legal questions. That created an interesting legal question, wh- which is what if they deny you the union representative up front because the meeting is not the kind of meeting that would normally involve any kind of personnel decisions uh, or disciplinary actions or anything like that. And then, like, in the middle of the meeting, it turns into that. um, Like, does that retroactively mean that you should have had your union rep there? Or is it a whole other thing? Um, I don't know. It's a sort of... It's a confusing question. Um, Anyways... What happened that caused him to get fired if i recall correctly was they were in the uh they were in the annual employee review and the boss said you know on a scale of of 1 to 10 you know how how would you rank your performance and the guy and i'm trying to remember this as best as i can but this is how it is stored in my my fallible brain he apparently said something like I would rank myself a five out of ten and I'm okay with that or something like that like very much like yeah uh, you know he was just he's like yeah i'm I'm like an average worker I guess but it's whatever I come I do the job so um, and somehow this this led to him being fired and uh, yeah that always just stuck with me when I when I that, I don't know that stuck in my head for a long time just just the, the the balls of this guy to be in the middle of this kind of thing. And he's just like, uh, you know, I uh, I do not do my work, I guess. I don't know, like whatever. Um, and then they get him fired. And then he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the NRP now, I guess. We're going to have a, a whole novel legal question of whether you violated my wine garden rights. Um, and, you know, in the process spend you know tens of thousands of dollars of government resources trying to figure this question out so that's fun um oh yeah so the reason why this shit keeps getting disrupted is um you know there's like a pandemic or something um and the kids are in school and they're in daycare and but they they're like very skittish about this and anytime like a kid has like like coughs at all or whatever they send you home and you can't come back until you had a covid test and uh despite being reassured by many people online weirdly a few days ago that uh, oh covid tests that's super easy to get um you go and get one and it takes them like 2 to 3 days to give you a r- response and i guess they have these rapid tests but The requirement that you get a COVID test is also a requirement that you go see a doctor and have them write a doctor's note that says the kid is clean and can come back to school, which means then I I have to go to the doctor and have them do the COVID test and their COVID test like sent off to a lab and takes a few days. And so anyways, of course, kids are gonna get sniffles and shit like that and every time that happens, you get sidelined for like three days. I'm sure that has no relevance to uh, why employment hasn't recovered. Um, It's probably only because the unemployment benefits, which thankfully we've cut. So I'm sure it'll come back. Um, But yeah, oh, and Yom Kippur was also last week and they kicked the kids out of school for that, which I guess whatever that's respectful or or something. Um, But it's disrupting all my shit. Um, Liz gets more disrupted than I, well, you know, my jobs are a little more flexible because they're they're like completely fake, you know. I do like a podcast and a, and a, I'm self employed as a think tankman, so it's not as big a deal, I guess. But Hershey gets gets more fucked up, I guess, by it than mine does. Um, also, I think uh, you know why I'm going solo today. It's shit. It's fucking nine thirty at night. Um, just put the kids down. So you know. It's a little bit, again, difficult to find the time. But here I am, I'm back, so uh, enough, uh, enough bloviating. I uh, hope the first eight minutes didn't bore the shit out of you. <laughs> but we've got a, I've got a couple of exciting things uh, uh, today for you. I had a very explosive article, uh, I was not expecting it to be explosive, on the Danish, uh, the experience of McDonald's in Denmark, um, I think I mentioned this once on the podcast many, many, many months ago, or maybe even years ago, um, and it's always kind of been kicking around in my head. I knew I knew what happened when McDonald's went to Denmark because I had read some articles about it a long time ago, including some Danish articles, which I'd kind of like Google Translate, try to figure it out. I talked to some people who know Danish, and you know, like I had a pretty good idea of of how it all went down. But I'd never written it up. I'd only just kind of tweeted about it or maybe made a comment about it. And I finally decided that, hey, now that I'm blogging again at mattbrunick.com, why don't I just like put together a real quick post that contains all this information, contains all the images I can find. And just, you know, I'm, I'm an old style blogger. So this is a literal web log. It's something I learned about on the web and I would like to log it so that when people ask about it, I could send it to them. And so that's why I actually put it on mattbrewing.com instead of People's Policy Project. Of course, as it went along, I actually ended up doing a ton more research and it was probably was like legitimate enough that it passed my quality test for PPP and I probably should have put it on there, but I just put it on my normal blog and holy God, it got an insane response. Um, I mean, the number of links and clicks and page views is, is like, I mean, it's probably the most popular post I've ever put on that website um paul krugman tweeted it today uh the the, ch- the ch- chief economist of the finnish uh labor federation the sak which is like their afl-cio he he tweeted it out today approvingly always worried maybe i get something wrong but he he was like this is you know i don't know he, he, he didn't raise any issues with it um he seemed to kind of think like hey uh the americans think the way we do it is fine um and um yeah so if you know, you're know you interested in that kind of shit, you probably read it, but I don't know. Maybe some people you guys are just audio people, so I'm going to rehash it a little bit, and I'm actually going to give you a few more details that I didn't put in the post, and then I'm going to give you a whole other identical thing that happened when Toys R Us went to Sweden, because this, this shit actually happens uh, relatively frequently <laughs> in these countries, especially when these dumbass... American companies come in and, and, and think that they, they can just do whatever they want, which it doesn't turn out to be that way. But anyways, the story in Denmark with McDonald's is in 1981. McDonald's comes to Denmark. They'd already been in like 18, 19 other countries by that point. So Denmark, you know, they're already a full-blown multinational corporation. We're going to go to Denmark. Uh, at that point, as far as I know, Sweden was the only country that they had gone into and just and, and had accepted the union. In every other country that they'd been in, including obviously the U.S., they were they were not unionized. In Sweden, from what I read, they, on day one they 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 accepted the union, um, which is interesting. Um, this would have been in Sweden. They came in the 1970s. This would have been in the kind of heyday of the social democratic uh, you know period there. Like the, the, I guess the tail end of it, but you know. I guess they just decided it wasn't worth it. Um, actually, I read a piece that basically said, and I don't know how they would know this, but they were, they were basically saying that, look, anti-American sentiment in Sweden was kind of high in this period uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, most obviously uh, you know, anti-imperial perspectives uh, that were uh, prevalent in Sweden. Um, and so they kind of thought, like, look, if we're going to come in here, we're already going to get a whole bunch of shit because we 're American, and the Swedes don't like us, because you know we're the evil empire and whatnot, and we can't then compound that with we 're not going to respect the union agreement like we're just going to get completely annihilated in fact, I found an article today that uh in The New York Times about a a second bombing uh, in uh august 20th 1975 uh, the mcdonald's restaurant in in sweden this was two years after sweden arrived um the mcdonald's restaurant in sweden was bombed at least twice um after it arrived no one seems to know exactly why it should not have been a labor dispute that caused it because like i said they uh accepted the union on day one but um this speculation was that this was because of anti-american sentiment um you know like this was a leftist bomb against you know america or something um so if you're getting bombed because you're an american company you probably don't want to then add into it let's piss off the strongest labor movement in the world um and so they didn't but when they went into denmark they were ready to, to piss them off and they did they came in And they said, hey, I see that you guys, I I understand the way you guys do things here. You have these sector agreements. You have this agreement for hotel and restaurant workers and all the other companies abide by it, including, by the way, Burger King, who just came a few years before we're coming. uh, But we're not going to do it. Fuck you guys. We're not doing the union thing here. We don't have to. We're not required to. It's not a legal requirement. And we don't want to. We want to do our own thing and so we are. And, you know, the famous last words, I guess, of a lot of American companies uh, who tried this shit over there. And, uh, yeah, the you know, for a while, if you read this stuff, Denmark, the Danish unions would kind of chat with them and kind of do some, like, little press stuff and say, hey, you know, you really should follow this agreement and you know, I don't know, they seem to think for a while that they could kind of get it across to them that, hey, this this is not a smart move on your end and, y- and you really should kind of get on board. Um, there was one quote, uh, I didn't include this in my piece, um, from a, a book that was written about this um, that says, quote, according to Danish Union officials, a McDonald's spokesman confidently stated in Dalek-like tones that union resistance would be useless. This is the union official's quote of a McDonald's spokesperson, which, uh, you know, who knows if it's true, but this is what the union official claimed the spokesperson told him. Quote, McDonald's has as much money as there is water in the sea. We will not give in to an agreement. Industrial action is useless. Um, we're too big. The anti- this, is, this is what the antitrust people would tell you too. Well, they get to be so large that there's nothing you can do to them. The union is just so outmatched. Apparently, McDonald's was was also believed this claim um, and thought that well, we got so much money, whatever, a few restaurants in Denmark, it doesn't matter. We, we just well, we can fight forever. And it turns out that they couldn't. So in 1988, the union say, "All right, like we've been we've been at this now, trying to get you to participate for about six years." And you, you just, they're ignoring us. So we're just going to have to bring out the heavy guns and we don't like necessarily have full-blown membership inside the stores and like sure yeah like maybe we could get some of the people in the stores to strike but not all of them and then you could replace them and all that so we're just going to do the sympathy strike the solidarity strike the secondary boycott whatever you want to call it this i feel like is the uh, is uh, the most exciting thing that you read about in these countries over and over again which is that when they want to go after a company it is just complete fucking scorched earth at every level. Everything that the company touches, they just blow it up. And so in Finland in 1988, they start calling the strikes and sixteen different sectors got on board and said, all right we're uh, we're not going to uh, we're we're just gonna boycott mcdonald's and we're not going to do any any anytime our sector interacts with mcdonald's wherever it interacts with with mcdonald's we're going to cut it off and so you had everything you could imagine right the dock workers are sitting out there and every time a container comes in that has like a mcdonald's fry later or whatever they just won't they just won't take the container off the boat they're like i'm sorry take the container back it's it's not coming off the boat um printers said we're not printing menus they're not printing cups all that paper all the paper goods the wrappers all that stuff that they they use at mcdonald's the, the fry holders it's not going to be done it's certainly not going to be delivered there construction workers said we're not building mcdonald's anymore there's a great picture in one of the uh newspaper articles i read of uh of the the head of the sympathy strike court uh the head of the sympathy strikes like the head organizer of the sympathy strike going to a construction site where they have all these construction workers building a mcdonald's it's like halfway built and he's sitting there giving this speech saying you know lay down your tools we need to we need to you know suffocate mcdonald's and, and send them a lesson so that we can uh, get them to follow our agreement and they did according to the article said all right we're done this this uh, store is not going to be built until the agreement is is honored which obviously isn't you know It's one thing to say we're not building new stores. It's another thing to say we're going to leave this store that you've already put all this investment in. We're just going to leave it half built and it's just going to sit here and be like a massive financial liability for you. Um, The typographers union said we're not going to make any ads for McDonald's. We're not going to print any ads. We're not going to put any ads. You know, this was back in the 80s. So, you know, getting all the organizing a page like on a newspaper or something required some level of skill beyond what it does now where you could just use computers and whatever and the people who knew how to do that um which are not necessarily like the creatives per se but the people who know how to like set up a newspaper page and get it in the printing press and whatever so we're not running in any- it if there's a mcdonald's ad on the on the page we're not we're not we're just not putting it in um and they did it and according to the source I read, all, the all print advertisement in, uh, in Denmark just ended for McDonald's, which was, that was a major source of, of ads for them and, uh, you know, customer generation. Truckers would not deliver food or beer to McDonald's, and yes, McDonald's did serve beers and and did serve beers in Denmark in the 80s. I don't know if they still do, but they do serve beer in a lot of countries, just not the U.S. or the U.K. or um, Canada and uh yeah the factory workers who produce kind of like the processed foods and stuff and whatever they stopped working um you know it was just everyone and there was a oh here's one of the details i didn't put in there so they're starting to do this and they're just shutting everything down and like it's funny of course mcdonald's thinks you know whatever we can outlast and and it doesn't matter what you guys do we have more money but realistically if the unions are well organized and are care enough they just they just shut it down right um and they did they just completely crippled the con the company and they were kind of waiting for a while you know mcdonald's is getting completely you know wrecked by this shit and then at one point according to another source i read which like i said i didn't put in the article they uh the, the, all the nordic unions met in january 1989 so we're not just talking about danish unions we're talking about the finnish unions the swedish unions remember it had already they already were on good terms with the swedish unions the norwegian union like the nordic unions come together in february of 1989 or i guess january 1989 and they start talking about oh, okay what are we going to do about those mcdonald's problems the finnish the finnish mcdonald's uh union um i guess i should point out but this point by this point mcdonald's was also in finland and in finland they also uh were following the union agreements when they arrived and they arrived in finland i think in 84 they arrived in denmark in 81 so when they arrived in denmark and said we're not respecting the union they hadn't yet come to finland yet They'd only been in Sweden. They'd respected the Swedish union. Then they went to Denmark and they said, fuck you, we're not following that. They came to Finland a few years later and they did actually follow the Finnish uh, agreement. So now you're in a situation where for whatever reason they're holding out in Denmark, even though they've given up, they gave up in Sweden, they gave up in Finland. Anyway, so the Finnish McDonald's are unionized. They are following the the agreement in Finland. But they go ahead and say, all right, well, look, if they're going to not follow these agreements in Denmark, then we're going to start striking them in Finland. (laughs) they did they started they started sympathy striking finnish mcdonald's locations to put even more pressure on mcdonald's in denmark to uh to you know fall in line and uh this shit got really wild uh you know it was on tv they were also running boycotts in finland of mcdonald's in solidarity with danish workers Insult. I mean, uh, it's it's wild. It's one thing to be like, look, we got Danish construction workers to act in solidarity with Danish McDonald's workers, or we got Danish dock workers to act in solidarity with Danish McDonald's workers, right? We got all these Danish supply logistics type companies that interact with McDonald's. We got them to come out because they're in the Danish labor family. They're in the Danish labor federation. We were able to work through our federation to get them cut off there. It's a whole other thing to be like we got workers in another country who I guess see some kind of fellow feeling insofar as we've decided we have this idea of a Nordic region um I guess in that sense they think that they're coming to uh you know that they're they're coming to to help their Nordic brothers or something but uh you know to get it into a whole other country and now they're striking (laughs) mcdonald's there is pretty fucking wild um anyways as you would expect eventually mcdonald's caved and they you know in 19 in may of 1989 um so just a few few months later they said okay 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 we're gonna follow um we're gonna follow the agreement, and there, and there she wrote, and that's and that's how that's the story of how <laughs> uh, Danish workers in um, Danish McDonald's worker make make twenty two dollars an hour, which I'm sure you've heard that factoid over and over again. Um, they make twenty two dollars an hour in Denmark, and we can't even get fifteen an hour here. Um, so that's exciting. Um, I read a piece, actually, as part of my research for that piece. The last time uh, someone said something about this, it was actually AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She tweeted, I think. Yeah, she tweeted. What was her tweet? It said, uh, It's utterly embarrassing that pay people enough to live is a stance that's even up for debate. Override the parliamentarian and raise the wage. McDonald's workers in Denmark are paid $22 an hour. $15 an hour is a deep compromise, especially considering the phase-in because when they do those $15 minimum wage bills, it's always like $15 an hour starting in 2026 or something. Um, Anyway, she was talking about the fact that in the first reconciliation bill that was passed in March of this year, the parliamentarian said that a minimum wage hike could not be in the bill because even though it had very substantial impacts on the budget because it changed revenues and outlays by tens of billions of dollars, uh, in her opinion, those uh, budgetary impacts were merely incidental to the non-budgetary provisions of the bill. Um Oh, I think we've gone over this before, but the parliamentarian is not a real it's not a real thing. Uh, I, you know it's a, it's a staffer who can help you like can help recommend how you're supposed to decide on certain motions. I think some people think the parliamentarian's only job is to deal with reconciliation. No like the reason they have a parliamentarian is in any uh, in, in the Congress, people are constantly making motions and shit like that. Right, they're constantly being like, "Chair, I moved at the point of order of the of the point of personal privilege and blah 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 blah." Right, it's nonstop. Right, and the parliamentarian is there to, for the most part, they'll sit there and you know they'll tell you, "Oh, you, you know, you're supposed to do this here," right? Because the person who's actually responsible for deciding on these like procedural motions and objections and whatever the fuck you know people are doing and like Roberts rules of order type shit. Uh, the person who's actually responsible for deciding those things is always a member of Congress. Like, of course it's always a member of Congress. Who else would it be? It's some fucking employee? What what kind of government is that? It's always like the chair of this committee or the president of the Senate or the speaker of the House or whatever, right? It depends on the situation, but it's always a member of Congress that settles these you know procedural motions and objections and I move for a voice vote and blah, 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 blah. It's always a member of Congress who's responsible for doing that. Um, or in the Senate, you also get the presiding officer, which is the vice president. The vice president is actually the president of the Senate. So they are weirdly kind of like part of the Senate. But anyways, it's always an elected official it's never the parliamentarian, but the parliamentarian there, it's just like to help these poor people, right? Because <laughs> if you just cut kind of some like elected official and you just come from nowhere, you're not like an expert in like parliamentary, or, you know, in the, in the r- rules of the Senate and, you know, how you're supposed to talk about this motion and shit, like you're not an expert in that. And even once you've been there for a while, you know, you, that's not, you're not there to study the minutiae. And so they're there to just kind of cut through the minutia for you. They're there to help you. Oh, sir, yeah, you need to like bang the gavel now and say sustained. Oh, oh, uh, sustained, right? They're there to just kind of help prod these mostly elderly people along as they try to, you know, uh, follow these sort of procedural rules. They're not there to make these big substantive, serious decisions about what the Congressional Budget Act means when it says merely incidental. That is not their role and yet that's sort of what we've uh what we've uh, that's what the, the democrats pretend that's their role because they want to blame someone other than themselves right they it, it's a great scapegoat to be like ah we can't do this the parliamentarian the, par- the parliament they do shit they want to do they don't do shit they don't want to do and when they don't when there's stuff they don't want to do but they don't want to you know tell people they don't want to do it because it kind of makes them look back look bad they say it's parliamentarian's fault um anyways anyways god i got sidetracked again so aoc you know says hey it's bullshit you know danish mcdonald's workers make 22 an hour we're only asking for 15 like come the fuck on and when she tweeted this out over at the washington post They somehow got a social democratic member of the Danish parliament, Ida Auken, who's the author of Danks, a book about Danish identity and values, already a fucking red flag right there. You sure you're, 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 sure you're a member of the social democratic party, not the, the far right party? Um, anyways, um, Ida is, uh, writes an op-ed about this AOC tweet um, and, you know, you're looking at her like, okay, interesting. interesting. She's a member of the Social Democratic Party. You know, that's fine. Danish parliament, she's probably got some interesting things to say about why do they make 22 an hour in Denmark for McDonald's workers, and it turns out she doesn't. She has nothing interesting to say. What she ends up saying is, What we have in the Danish labor market model, also known as flexicurity, because it offers flexibility and securities for workers and employers alike. Oh, excuse me. A burger in Denmark costs roughly a dollar more than it costs in the United States, but it has nothing to do with a minimum wage. We don't have one. We have flexicurity, our Danish labor market model. The Danish model is a decentralized system which pay and working conditions are established by collective bargaining agreements between trade unions and employer organizations. Our unions are strong mostly because employers and employees both gain from the relationship. If the labor agreements are not respected, workers have the right to go on strike and conversely, employers have the right to lock out workers. The state interferes only if negotiations break down. They rarely do. No. No mention of what happened here. Is it's a kind of kumbaya. Oh yeah, there is an agreement, but it's just because, you know, employers and employees, they realize that they both gain from the agreement. You know, they all just realize it's just best for everyone if we do it this way. And that's the kind of shit they put out. And anytime you see someone from Denmark talking about flex security, which I don't know if I explained this before but flex security is this fucking hideous word they've come up with and which, which is trying to describe the scenario in which they claim that you know in Denmark it's very easy to fire a worker if you want to fire a worker but that worker has tremendous security So so the arrangement is instead of protecting you from being fired they don't do that they let them fire at will but if you do get fired the unemployment benefits are so fucking awesome and of course you're getting free healthcare and they cover childcare and all that kind of shit the unemployment benefits are so great that it's it's like totally fine you just chill on unemployment for a while and you get a new job and it is true that the danish unemployment benefits are like the most generous in the you know OECD like like by a significant margin they do a lot there but it is not as far as i can tell Obviously I don't live in Denmark so I don't know if I'm missing something here but any all the like quantitative measures and all the rest of it it is not true that in Denmark job protections are weak it is true that Danish job protections are not as strong as say French job protections and not as strong as maybe say German or Belgium job protections it is true right that these continental european kind of western european countries and even southern european countries it is true it appears that job protections are stronger in those countries than they are in denmark and therefore denmark if they were talking to a european audience might say hey it is a little bit easier to fire in denmark and you know that's important or something but it is not true that it's it's somehow like super. It's it, it's not true that Denmark. It's easier to fire people in Denmark than it is in the United States, right? And so it's bizarre because they they send out this weird propaganda to the rest of the world, and they they just talk about flex security all fucking day. Flex security, flex security, flex security. It's the same thing that the Finns do with the baby box, right? They've decided that that's their international message. Finland, their, their international brand is we give everyone a box when they're born. And guess what? That's a fucking awesome international brand. I appreciate that. Whatever it is, whatever propaganda it is, it's true that they do it, and it's cool that they do it, and it's neat, and it's fun. And when I was there, I went to the Finnish National Museum, and they had a whole fucking uh, display about these boxes, and you could see old boxes from o- o- earlier years, and it was fucking cool. The Danes have decided that their thing is flexicurity. That every time they interact with any fucking American press, anytime anyone in the in the goddamn government or former government officials interacts with like American or English speaking press, all they want to talk to you about is flex security. Is this the oh, you know, generous unemployment benefits but low job protections. We protect the worker. We don't protect the job. And that's the and like it's misleading. And why would, they, why would they do that? would well, they do that? Because they're trying to attract international investment, right? They're a small open market. They require international capital flows, blah, 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 That's But that's, that's how they have decided to brand themselves. Anyways, it's not the case that Flex Security is the fucking reason that McDonald's workers make $22 an hour. That's not the fucking reason. Right? The reason is because of this crazy wild ass strike that happened in the 80s and that, that McDonald's doesn't want to see happen again. That's the reason. That's why it happened. So, this really irritates me um, that she put this out here. But, like I said, it's part of their international public relations strategy. It appears to me. I told you guys at the beginning of the episode that, okay, yeah, I'm going to rehash that a little bit. Hopefully, you didn't read it. Or, if you did, I gave you some new details and I covered it from a different angle. So, that could be interesting. But... Um, I wanted to actually go over a a whole brand new ass strike that I've never talked about before. I don't think in any context, but which I know about that is very similar to the McDonald's strike. Um, Like I said, these kinds of strikes, these kind of sympathy strikes where they just start striking fucking everywhere all over the place. uh, If a company or even if the state does something they don't like are you know not like an everyday occurrence but like every few years you see something like it happen and in 1995 it happened in sweden with toys r us (laughs) toys r us now now dead and forgotten uh chewed up by a private equity fund or something i don't know i didn't follow that we were supposed to be upset that toys r us went out of business a few years ago because private equity did something that made it happen or i i I didn't really follow that but for a while toys r us obviously massive uh, retail store it was like a big box toy store which i guess we don't really have anymore uh weirdly uh i don't know the kind of people who get mad at like who got mad at the private equity and toys r us shit they're also usually like the anti chain anti big box people and like i don't know it seems like you got what you want there's no big box toy store anymore so you know but there's plenty of these little tiny boutique ass bullshit toy stores that you got to go to but anyways toys r us came to sweden and this was just 6 years after mcdonald's uh had its uh quite spectacular defeat in denmark um but toys r us comes to sweden and they say, no, we're not doing the union thing. Sorry, we don't have to, not going to. So suck it. And um, it turns out that uh, the unions didn't like that. <laughs> and, and they did the same thing they did in Denmark. They start calling in the solidarity strikes. So this is an article I'm reading from uh, a publication called The Militant. <laughs> Uh, which is a, a Swedish uh, publication. Um, and 1995, seven national unions have come out in support of the Retail Workers Union. The seafarers, transport workers, and public employee unions have stopped all shipping and transportation to and from the three Toys R Us stores. The electricians, maintenance, and municipal unions have ceased all maintenance cleaning and garbage collection at the stores (laughs) and here's the here's the kicker this is the this is the best solidarity strike image that i've ever seen okay this is the best like instance of it that's that for me for me and the way my brain works this is the best thing i've ever seen okay The bank employees union stopped handling the company's financial transactions, including daily sales deposits. You know, when you're starting to do these solidarity strikes, there's a level of creativity involved in which you're like, well, what are all the things the company touches, right? It's very easy. The first thing you think of is you're like, well, they got to get shipments, right? It's a big retail store. So we're trucking in toys all the time, right? On 18 wheelers. So let's just call up the truckers and tell them to stop doing that. Okay, very easy. And then you start, what what else do they do? What are the other third parties they interact with and we could just tell them to stop? Well, they they need, uh, the stores are clean. They have like outside cleaning firms that come and help clean the store. So we'll just call those workers and tell them to knock it off. And, you know, and you kind of go through it and, you know, are, some, are there some special factories where they do the Toys R Us toys? Not really. It's not like the same thing as McDonald's where you have kind of specialized food. It's just the kind of toys you could buy anywhere. So you can't, that one's a little bit harder to do. Oh, well, we, you know, they do get garbage collected. So we'll just tell the garbage, garbage guys to just not pick up their garbage anymore. Okay. Everything, you know, it's all very basic at that point. You get you get all those connections. They're kind of obvious. But someone at some point was like, wait a minute. One other thing they also do is at the end of each day, they go take all the cash from the registers and all the purchases and they go and they deposit it at the bank. So why don't we just go tell the like bank teller unions that whenever the toys r us manager comes with the daily cash haul to just send them away and say sorry we don't accept your deposits here <laughs> and he fucking did it <laughs> and i don't know why this tickles me so much but it i think it's just the idea it's, it's the idea there's a few things right so a manager coming i imagine a ma- manager coming you know with a big bag of cash in his hand and uh, you know almost like maybe like a big big bag with a dollar sign on it and he's going to like hey yeah uh, you know here are the daily sales i come every day you know me hey hey Susie, how are the kids yeah 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 i think we got yeah i counted it but you can put it through the cash machine i think we got like uh, you know thirteen thousand dollars cash today you know kroners whatever the fuck it is uh put it in you know the account i'll be back tomorrow and then Susie's like oh nah. Sorry, I can't do that today. We're on sympathy strike because you know you won't represent the union. And then the guy sits there and he gets this big, <laughs> bag of cash bag, and he's like, "The fuck do I do with this now? What do I even do with this?" And he goes back to his store and he just, you know, on that first day, he just kind of puts the bag back in his office, you know. And then the next day, there's there's another bag in the office. Now he's got to buy new bags because he's used to just reusing the bags. And like by day, you know, 15, his office inside the, the, you know, the manager's office inside the Toys R Us is just fucking lined with cash (laughs) it's just it's just kroner spilling out everywhere and he's like on the phone real frantic with the toys r us national or or you know corporate international body. he's like what what do i do with this kroner i don't even what it's really it's highly dangerous someone could rob this and uh like eventually we're gonna run out of space to put the bills and uh just the the comedy of being overloaded with cash and not really having any idea what to do with it. Um, Especially if you're a company like that, where you're like so sophisticated and whatever, like, like how do you even book this money? Like on, on the Toys R Us, uh, you know, SEC reports where they put out their annual performance. Like, do they, do they need to count up this cash? And like, that goes on the balance sheet. It's like, oh yeah, a new, new item on the balance sheet, just loose, fucking kroner cash bills just sitting in this dude's office in uh in uh fucking stockholm um but that's that's always very funny to me and you know i mean to take a step back with this stuff obviously it's cool to see them crush uh these people but um you know what's so inspiring about this stuff and i'm not just it's the nordic countries what's so inspiring about this stuff is it it proves the whole theory the whole socialist theory the whole thing p- the socialists have been on about for you know fucking 200 you know some odd years right which was that hey look at this shit look at this shit for a second we have this uh society you know you've got their workers and you've got these owners and the owners they bizarrely control everything even though they're kind of a small group of people and if you look at these workers they're one they're way more numerous and two if they just kind of coordinate just a little bit they can basically just crush anything they want to crush at any time like all they got to do is work together and they can kind of call the shots not kinda call the shots. They could call the shots. In fact, in the in the in the most extreme articulation, if they just work together in the right way, they can kind of just snap their fingers and just expropriate everything. And what what's anyone gonna do about it? That that was like that was the kind of socialist, you know, idea for so long. And of course you're like, wow, well, it doesn't seem to work in a lot of you know? Like I see it on paper and yeah, goddamn, it looks like it should work and then it just doesn't, and you got these unions, and they do some stuff, you got these, of course, you have some revolutionary movements, but those revolutionary movements, they didn't really operate in the socialist style of, like, you know, the general strike, you know, the workers went on some general strike, and then took over the government, it it didn't really work that way, it worked more in a kind of, like, the workers took up arms and there was like some guerrilla fighting, like very similar to any kind of other revolution or coup or something. But the whole just like, yeah, just like lay down your tools and then and then take over. That never really came to fruition. And for me, when I look at what the Nordic unions do with this shit, I'm like, there it is. That is, that's it. That's the thing we were talking about. Now, of course, they don't, they don't, you know, set up a, uh, (laughs) they don't uh, take, they don't seize the means of production with it, unfortunately, and they don't, you know, use it to necessarily like install a a socialist dictatorship or something like that, but they do use it to just call their shot and say, if you, like, you basically got to do what we want you to do, like, you know, it's like the guy in the... In that movie right i'm the captain now or whatever like that's them (laughs) like like, we are coordinated and organized well enough that we call the shots and if you and you think you're some big badass oh i'm mcdonald's i'm a multinational corporation this is a small five and a half million uh person uh, uh economy i don't give a fuck about them i'll just throw my they'll end your shit in like a month They're in your shit in a month. they just shut everything down and you just can't do anything. You're totally paralyzed. And, you know, even whatever you say about the level of socialism achieved in those countries, the success of that mechanism, that just total, complete, you can't resist them when they do that. There's no answer to it. There's no defense to it right, that they do it and you lose. You lose 100% of the time. You can't win. You just lose, right? It's a perfect offense. There's no defense to it if you can pull it off but no people just don't are never able to pull it off. The workers split, scabs come in, the workers in the other firms are afraid to do solidarity strikes, they're illegal in some cases, are they gonna get fined? Are they going to be? And it all kind of gets splintered out and, and enough pressure points are applied and enough divide and conquer is applied and enough desperation is, is, is seized upon in order to do replacement worker. Enough of these little tactics and shit uh, are used to kind of bust up you know, an organized worker effort because the organized workers don't hold strongly enough. But if they did get there and they did hold strongly enough, they call their shots. They call their own shots. They do whatever they want. And that is what's so cool about it. Because I even think about this bank teller thing In Sweden, right? Toys R Us, the Toys R Us manager comes in. I'm trying to deposit money. The bank teller's like, nah, we don't do that, brother. You're a piece of shit. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe recognize the union if you want to use a bank. Um and you know, you think about that in another context and you're like, doesn't that guy worry that he doesn't own the bank? (laughs) You know, that's what's that's what's kind of comical about it, you know. He he doesn't, he's not a manager at the bank. He doesn't run the bank. He doesn't own the bank. He has no investment stake in the bank. He's literally just the fucking bank teller, right? And yet the union can go to him and say, Hey, I don't, we're, we're not accepting those. And instead of him, instead of him being worried, like, Oh dude, I don't know if I can just disobey my manager and like not accept these. like i got kids i got a job i need this money i can't just get fired and so no what the fuck i'm not gonna like what are you even asking me to do if you were to ask a bank teller to do that in the united states it just would be bewilderment more than anything else the answer of course would be no but short of that it would just be like are you fucking crazy what do you why would you ever think that i would ever be able to do that I would get, fu- my ass would be fired so goddamn fast. Like, it wouldn't even be funny, right? You asked me not only to deny someone's deposits, but deny the deposits of a major company, a big account that we have at this bank. I'm gone instantly. No, fuck no, I'm not doing that. But in Sweden, <laughs> you go to the same guy and he's like, yeah, sure, fine. And the reason, obviously, why it's not just like he's a bolder, more courageous guy. I mean, partially like some of that's required, but because ostensibly, he realizes that if the management of the bank tried to do something against him, all holy hell would come uh, come down on them as well. right? Like like if they were to be like, "Dude, you know, if you don't take these deposits, we're firing you." Like he knows that termination, that'll be the last thing they ever fucking do. Like if you want your bank to cease to exist, please fire me. He knows it's not going to happen because he knows that they, the union's got his back as well if that shit happens, right? And so at a certain level, you get over a hump where all of a sudden uh, uh, the, the, the clouds open and a whole new horizon is available and you can just do whatever you want to do. And, you know, I wish they would go further with it, of course, but you just do whatever the fuck you want to do. And not even just just nuking companies, just kind of flipping just, you know, snapping your fingers and being like, "Ha, that company's bankrupt now. Not even just that. They do this shit to essentially veto legislation. That was one of the, the things I put in my, uh, the piece I wrote at mattpruning.com about this. In Finland, they were... The the conservative government was trying to make it easier for small employers to fire people. A uh, very you know stolarian move, uh, maybe. Um, and the unions, they just were like, no, like you can't. They didn't. They had the votes to do it, right? The conservatives had won the prior election. They had the majority in the parliament and all the rest. They had. They could do it, like democratically, legislatively. The vote was there. They were ready to do it. They were preparing the bill. It was going to go through and the unions were just like, no, that's just not going to happen. Sorry. And they just struck just fucking all over the place, just this rolling strike wave, like just all sorts of random shit, just causing chaos in, in, the, in the country and being like, nope, nope, nope. And then eventually, they basically just gave up on the bill. And we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? We can't We can't just let the country just, like, collapse over this fucking small business employer, you know, hiring and firing. We can't do that. And even though we won the election, and their party, the Social Democratic Party, which is, like, sort of the labor party, the one that they support for the most part, organized labor, even though that party lost and is not in government, there's nothing we could do. (laughs) It doesn't matter. We can win every election from here on out, but if the unions stay strong... We can't really do anything against them. Um, And, you know, that's just glorious. That's just glorious. I love that. Um, Anyways, what was the other thing I wanted to talk about? So there was a piece today in The Prospect, The American Prospect, and it was written by Lee Harris, And the title of the piece is Paid Leave Advocates Won't Push Back on Payouts to Private Insurance. And I think in a prior episode, I told you paid leave is I'm going to be on paid leave from now on, basically. Because we've got this crazy ass paid leave bill in the House where rather than doing the thing that the Democrats have been promising to do for like the last 10 to 20 years, which is create a new Social Security benefit that people can receive when they need paid time off, Right, you you need your time off. You file your application. The Social Security Administration looks at your earnings record, figure out what you're eligible for, sends you a check. Right, very basic, very straightforward. Anyone who's ever you you know anyone who's ever used or knows about Social Security old age benefits or disability benefits or whatever like very natural process, very obvious extension. Social Security's functionality. Do it as a you know central paid leave program. Whatever. They took that thing. That proposal, that basic administrative structure, and instead said, we're going to basically set aside a pot of subsidies for employers who want to provide their own paid leave by contracting with a third-party insurer, right? Which is to say that they're basically saying, we're going to create a private insurance paid leave system in the U.S. Not a public paid leave system through the Social Security Administration, but a private one and the the public is going to bring in subsidies right we're going to send all this cash you know tens of billions of dollars of cash each year out to the private insurers but the private insurers are going to be the one that manages all of this you know administers the money and shit and obviously that's just a dumb fucking idea and the, the piece is interesting because it goes into you know like the money and politics aspect to this, right? So the main insurance company that seems to have backed it, Sun Life, You know, they've given money to everyone on ways and means. Um, Richard Neal, who's the big guy on ways and means, he's gotten so much money from the insurance industry and especially the life insurance industry over the years that it's it's sort of comical. Um, The American Council of Life Insurers, which is a trade group that lobbied Neal to include private business, praise the final product in a statement to the prospect, thanking Neil for quote the opportunity to partner and for continued dialogue. Uh, so the piece is it, 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 what I love about the piece is it you know for me I just look at the bill text and I'm like, yeah this is a giveaway to private insurance but Lee, you know as a as a, a legit uh, reporter goes out and like talks to people and and de- determines that's precisely what happened right called up the American Council of life Insurers and they're like, yeah, we fucking did this. And it's great. It's awesome. Just bold, bold shit. Um, anyways, there were some really funny little flourishes in here because it, it's basically indefensible. The inclusion of private insurers in this market is totally indefensible, right? Because they're just going to suck money out of the system without adding any value. With other kinds of insurance, arguably, there's some value that they could add, but here... All you're doing is you're taking money in and then when someone takes paid leave, you send the cash out. That's it. It couldn't be more simple. It's not like health insurance, which is a lot more complicated. You know, you've got deductibles premiums out-of-pocket maximums you got cost sharing you got coinsurance you've got you know what kind of preventative things am i going to try to get you to do and you know that kind of really complicated thing where maybe you think that yeah some differentiation is necessary some choice is necessary i don't think that but maybe you could paid leave is not like that paid leave is just i need to take time off work i fill out the form they put cash in my bank period so the there's no need for private insurance you know and the only way they're going to make money is as i was quoted in this piece is either by denying legitimate claims or skimming the cream meaning they're going to try to find employers whose workforces have below average paid leave requirements and then use that to try to make some money Um, they could do other things as well try to kind of trick people into taking less leave right like because you're entitled to 12 weeks but you can imagine an insurance company might find some way to figure out to kind of nudge you to only take 10 or something like that and then they can profit off the difference there i don't there's a lot of room for for profiteering here and no room really for like innovation and value add and technology or any shit like that right anyways so what are what are some of the... So, so the interesting part of the story is, okay, she's going out and reporting this and talking to people, talking to advocates, talking to the insurers. What do they say? How do they defend the indefensible, which is the inclusion of these private insurers in this? Okay. Sun Life U.S. President Dan fishbean um, which is, again, it's remarkable she managed to get the president of this company to talk to her, um, he says that private insurance adds value to paid leave by helping people navigate their policies. You know, so it's like, we're going to make this shit complicated, and then our value adds, we're going we're gonna to help you navigate that complication. Um, as you can see, a little bit circular there. I don't know, why not make it dead fucking simple, and then people don't need help to navigate. Anyways. Anyways. Here is the quote from him, his full quote. The industry today, referring to the paid leave insurance industry, is a well-developed industry with thousands of people whose entire purpose is helping people get back to their optimal level of functioning and productivity. And the Social Security Administration isn't going to do any of that. The way the Family Act is written is they would simply be issuing checks, you know, making benefit payments. It's remarkable to me that this guy doesn't just keep his fucking head down and try to like skim this through. And instead, they get him on record being like the family act sucks, especially because the Senate could still put the family act as their version. And then they've got to reconcile. And I imagine seeing this fucking dipshit uh, head of a life insurance company saying that your bill sucks sucks. Ah, uh, because the Social Security Administration can't help people, whatever. I imagine that might be a little bit off-putting to some senators. I don't know. Let's see. We'll see what they do. But even if you, the quote is absurd on its face, right? The idea that uh, that these that the uh, that these companies are doing anything special vis-a-vis the beneficiaries to like help them uh, flourish and function and be productive and whatever is is absurd, right? Of course, they're not doing that. But I like to even just indulge that idea. Let's indulge the idea that what he's telling you is if you go the social security route, what they do is, okay, yeah, you file your application, they send you your cash, and then they leave you alone, okay? And then he says, but that's, that's no good. We, we got something better. We don't just send you your cash. You're really, a, you're like a member of our family, a member of our team. And we have little bonuses, little bells and whistles that, you know, maybe some like uh, kind of contacts. We can make some contacts with you. Maybe make some calls. Maybe you could go on our app and it'll give you like little little push notifications to kind of help you get better. Hey, uh, you know, uh, here's how you breastfeed or, uh, you know, some bullshit like that. Um Let's imagine that that's actually how it uh, 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 plays out. And then let's put the two options in front of us and say, which, "Which do you prefer?" Honestly, do you prefer the option where the Social Security Administration just sends you your, the, ca- just sends you your cash and then leaves you the fuck alone? Or do you prefer the option where the hand-picked insurer of your employer sends you the cash, but then also is up your ass about it? the entire goddamn fucking time and won't leave you the fuck alone. Like, that's not appealing at all. Who is this appealing to? I don't want the, the life insurer that happens to be the one that administers the fucking direct deposits into my bank account. I don't want to hear from them at all. I don't want them up my ass about anything. I just want to pay attention to the kid take my time off and then go back. And the idea that that's the justification—that's the reason why we can't do the central simple social security benefit—is because really people want uh, fucking employees of insurance companies up their ass about how to be optimally functioning and productive in, in, their, in their journey back to the workforce—is is, is the most dystopian thing, honestly, that I've ever I've ever heard um, in this area. But so that's what the insurance companies are saying. Um, the other thing that she gets into, which is interesting, is okay, so the insurance companies defend it this way. I roll, but why also, but put them aside for a second. What's the deal with the paid family leave people? There's this whole group of you know fucking like fifty plus people probably in d c whose whole job is just like paid leave, paid, leave, paid leave. Right. Whether at the National Partnership for Women and Families or New America or CAP or CBPP, maybe to a lesser extent, there's so many orgs that like have somebody who's, you know, some foundation is paying their salary and their whole job is to do this shit and, and help construct this shit and be like, you know, watchmen in this shit. Why aren't they saying anything? Why is, implicitly the, 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 the question in the article, why is Matt Bruning the only one talking about this? Let's go talk to the, the real activists, the real, you know, the, the official paid leave gatekeepers in the think tank world. What have they got to say about this crazy shit? And here's what we have here. We don't want to say, if someone really likes their plan, that we're going to take it away. Don Hucklebridge, director of the advocacy group Paid Leave for All, said in an interview with the prospect. I love her organization's name, Paid Leave for All, because it, they, they have endorsed the Neal Plan. Um, and what's funny is, of course, the Neal Plan does not provide Paid Leave for All, because uh, if you don't have a certain work history, uh, you're not eligible for the benefits. So it, it is a literal paid leave for some program but the organization calling itself paid leave for all is is all in favor of it but anyways anyone who's familiar with the obamacare debates or the healthcare debates uh will be very familiar with this line which is uh uh let oh let me be clear uh if you like your plan you could keep it uh right <laughs> she's trying to uh she's trying to piggyback on this argument against single-payer health insurance which says that we can't transition to single-payer health insurance because all these people who love their current plans will no longer be on those plans. And that's no good. But first off, that's fucking deranged. Even again, if you think there's something special about healthcare, right? Health healthcare is a different kind of thing, right? because you're talking about specific providers, some people confuse insurance with providers, you're talking about specific mixes of deductibles and co-pays and all this kind of shit, it's a much more involved thing. There's no one out there who's like, man, I really love my paid leave plan. 65% wage replacement, That I that is just the optimal wage replacement for me. I like, a seventy percent no go, sixty five percent. That's the plan for me. There's nothing to these plans. It's just money. No one could be. No one is sitting. <laughs> you can't be wedded to a plan that all it does is when you take paid leave, it just gives you cash. Like what? What is it that you like? Have some attachment to? with insurance you might have attachment to the network you might have attachment to you know certain kinds of uh, you know arrangements about you know how you're paying for shit and maybe you like your HSA it's so fucking involved the thing where they give you money when you take time off work there's no attachment there that's a f- it's a- absurd but even more absurd than that is they are not allowing the current paid leave plans. I should take a step back. Only 25% of workers are employed in firms that have any kind of paid leave, any kind of paid leave. That's not even say what kind of paid leave they have. But in the surveys, only 25% of workers are employed in, any, in a place that has any kind of paid leave. But putting that aside, the places that currently have paid leave Those plans are not going to be grandfathered in. When Obama was doing this shit with Obamacare and was saying, you know, let me be clear, if you like your insurance, you can keep it, he was promising to grandfather old insurance plans into the future right? So if you're on a plan, they they would grandfather it even though it didn't comply with the Obamacare requirements around uh, minimum you know, uh, health benefits and uh, what do they call them, the PHEs or I don't know. E- even though they didn't comply with the new rules, you, they would grandfather you in, right? There's no proposal to grandfather in old employer insurance plans. The The old insurance employer plans, for them to be able to continue and to be enrolled in the system, they're going to have to be completely rewritten to comply with the new structure set up in this bill, because the bill sets up minimum requirements that the employer plans have to meet. So no one gets to keep their current plan, period. No one gets to keep it. Because whatever your plan is on now, even if they allow it to stay with the employer, the employer's gotta completely redo it to comply with the new minimum requirements that are in the fucking paid leave bill. So everyone's plan's getting nuked. The only question is, after you've nuked all the existing plans, What's the new thing going to look like? Is it going to be a single benefit coming from the Social Security Administration or is it going to be this fucking hodgepodge of benefits? Some of it's from employers. Some of it's from states. Some of it might come from the federal government. Some employers might uh, provide this much benefit. Some employers might provide that much benefit. Is it going to be that or is it going to be a single thing? No option. No option out there, certainly not the nil plan, is allowing anyone to main- to keep the plan they're currently on. That doesn't exist. And yet here, this is the head of the fucking paid leave for all, like the, the umbrella org that all the other paid leave people are members of. This is her reason for doing this. And it's, it's fucking wrong on every level. Just factually, that's not what's happening in the bill. It's just fucking crazy. The libs, the libs, the think tank libs, they just drive me nuts. Okay, so that's Hucklebridge. They do talk to another one, which is Vicky Shabo. I talked about Vicky last episode, I believe. And when they're talking about Vicky Shabo, here's what she has to say. Quote, we're in the sausage-making stage of this legislation, so there may have been considerations at play incoming from other stakeholders in the private sector. If we were creating a system from scratch... Me, we might try to insure everybody through a public program. However, I trust the judgment of the Ways and Means Committee and of politicians who need to square the fact that there are a lot of different interests at play. I actually respect Shabo for this. I don't respect the fact that she's decided to keep her powder dry and not go after this fucking abomination. But I respect that at least the quote she gave Though she was gingerly about it, she was she was gentle about it. The quotes she gave basically are just like, "Yeah, well, you know, the life insurers just came in and they're money grabbing. I mean, what can you do, <laughs> right? Right? Other stakeholders in the private sector, a lot of different interests at play. That's how she puts it, right? So she's just like, "Yeah, the insurers got a hold of them. What can you do? At least it's something." <laughs> But I respect that at least she puts it that way instead of Hucklebridge who fucking lies about why you would do it this way and pretends that there's some status quo preserving, uh, uh, you know, preference, uh, uh, respecting, uh, you know, element to it, which there fucking isn't. Um, but other than that, I mean, honestly, I read the piece. I thought it was great. Um, there is going to be a Senate bill. I Hopefully it's the family act. We'll see. Um they had a quote from Daniel Sachs, an economist at Indiana University. He does a lot of the uh, social insurance stuff, and he says, uh, uh, "There's no floor. There's no minimum benefit in this program." That's something I pointed out. There used to be one. There was one in the Family Act. They got rid of the minimum benefit for the uh, the House version of the bill. There's no floor on the payment. He says. So yeah, you know it helps them out at least nominally that they get eighty percent of the of what they used to make or whatever the number is. But eighty percent of a hundred dollars a week is not a lot of money, especially if you just had a kid. <laughs> so I like that little flourish there. But yeah, I don't know. I'm very excited to see where this goes. I'm very disappointed with the other think tank paid leave people that they're just they're just getting completely trucked on this and don't seem to give a fuck. I understand why uh they do it like this um honestly you know realistically the people who work in these orgs they they seem as if they're like separate entities oh they're this is like a but they're not like these paid leave these are not real organizations i mean sometimes that people make fun of my think tank and they're like well that's just like a blog and it's like what are what are the other think tanks what what are the other think tanks dude it's just a fucking website some people there's no it's no members it's not a, like, it's not a union. <laughs> it's not, like, oh, yeah, we get uh, every day, every week, you know, we get uh, $5 a week from uh, from the paid leave uh, members who all love us and we, we support 100,000, and we have 100,000 dues-paying members of paid leave lovers. It's none of that. It's just some fucking rich people. In a lot of cases, Melinda Gates, it looks like, who just sprinkles some money around in D.C. and people take the money, they register an org, and then they claim you know, that they're some kind of leader in the paid leave movement. The uh, uh, media eats the shit up because they have some registered entity. Hey, I've got a registered entity, too um and and then the fucking for whatever reason the staff eat it up the staff need help on the hill they don't know what they're doing they're understaffed they're underfunded here's someone who melinda gates is paying to come in and help you do it like that's like the actual mechanics of all of this and realistically because of the way the funding works and because of the way like the career and job flow works these people don't want to come out here and blast the fuck out of richard Neal. they're not going to come out they're never going to blast anything the democrats do right at most they might off the record on background try to drop a story with someone you know in the press to point out some problem but they're never they're not going to come out with this shit because it doesn't behoove them professionally to do that and it's sad because that then means that the press is basically operating in the dark because they rely on these people to do what they say that they do which is represent like serious paid leave reformism in the country and and when they don't really do that because they're really operating as an appendage of the democratic party because it's the same donors that run both the institutions and because they just move back and forth between the party anyways and between the staffing jobs anyways and so there's no one there who can genuinely be like now this thing sucks right except for me of course you know, the only honest man in the game, like I've been saying for years now. So anyways, I can't believe actually I've gotten 113 uh, as a solo app. Uh, that's kind of nuts. But um, this is not going to be the only episode this week. I will cajole Liz into doing one, hopefully. I'm also going to put uh, an episode I did with the It's Just Banter guys, uh, TC and Jake. I'm going to put that one on the feed so you guys probably haven't heard that i did a whole hour with them on woodstock and uh fucking uh, the fact that college football uh placeholders their knee is down and no one seems to be upset about i did a whole a whole hour with them that's gonna go up as well and then we're gonna have our own content me and liz we're gonna have three i mean you're gonna be swimming in content so sorry about last week trying to make it up um i have no idea (laughs) if this episode's interesting to people uh you know, to hear me just fucking lose my mind over welfare tedium. But, you know, there are a lot of weird people out there. So I only need a few of them to have the same kind of mental illness I have. So anyways, I'll talk to you later, guys. See you later. Adios, mofo.